NPR. This is the Indicator for Planet Money. I'm Adrian Ma. And I'm Waylon Wong. We are in the midst of another debt ceiling crisis, and it's easy to feel helpless, like you're at the mercy of politicians who keep bickering and playing chicken while the economy lurches toward potential catastrophe. Maybe you're thinking, is there anything I, a regular concerned citizen, can do about this? Well, it turns out that over the years, regular concerned citizens have tried to pitch in on the national debt. They've done this by sending money to the government. I was so stoked about this. I thought this was the best idea ever. And that if everyone just gave a little bit, we could just help this whole thing get paid off. So who are these magnanimous, civic-minded Americans who are donating money to the federal government? Why do they do it? And does it make any difference? We'll find out after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Breast cancer cells multiply faster because of CDK4-6 proteins. But what if blocking those proteins and stopping runaway cell division was possible? Dana-Farber scientists laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, new drugs that are increasing the survival rate for many advanced breast cancers. Dana-Farber's momentum of discovery keeps finding new ways to outmaneuver cancer. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. This message comes from NPR sponsor, American Express Business. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. For almost as long as there's been a United States, there have been Americans who want to give money to the federal government. And I don't just mean paying their fair share of taxes. I'm talking about making a charitable contribution to Uncle Sam. The earliest payment actually goes back to about 1811 during the Madison administration. Some random citizen mailed in five bucks. This is Matt Garber. He works at the U.S. Treasury in an office called the Bureau of the Fiscal Service. And what it does is manage money for federal agencies. It also runs websites like pay.gov, where you go to make electronic payments for everything from fines to national park permits. Matt's title there is Chief Customer Officer. Who are your customers? So we have this kind of dual hat between agencies as a primary customer, but also direct interactions with citizens on a day-to-day basis. So is the customer always right, or do you need to put an asterisk in that when you're dealing with, like, the government? So I like to say that the customer is always the customer, right? And so... (laughs) Very diplomatic um, of you. That's that's right. (laughs) Matt's position as chief customer officer was just formalized last year. So there was certainly no customer service department at the U.S. Treasury in 1811 when that random person mailed in $5, which, by the way, would be around $100 today. In fact, back then, there wasn't any system in place to accept donations like that. But the money kept coming in. So in 1843, the government set up an account for what it called Gifts to the United States. This was a general all-purpose account. Those funds have evolved over time. Um, Used to be much more physical property, checks, 
bags of pennies, bags of gold, and bags really, of gold. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Can we hear more about these yes. bags of gold? <laughs> so, so there is at least one instance that we're aware of where, in a Manila envelope, wrapped was about sixty three dollars in just gold bullion. And Matt says people have donated all sorts of things from. U.S. savings bonds to uh, signing over intellectual property like trademarks. And once, someone even donated a crate full of army surplus blankets. And once the Bureau of the Fiscal Service gets this stuff, it has to figure out how to convert it to, you know, U.S. currency so it can be deposited into the government's account. Now, for this general gifts to the government fund, there wasn't a way for donors to specify how they would like the money to be spent. But then in the 1950s, Matt says patriotic Americans wanted to help the government pay back the money it had borrowed for war efforts. There's this interest in providing funds just as a pure patriotic duty to offset these debts. So in 1961, the government set up another account, a special account for what it called gifts to reduce the public debt. And it meant that the money in that account could only be used for that purpose. It wouldn't get swallowed up by the general fund. So how much money actually flows into this special debt fund? Well, in 2022, the government collected, drumroll please, one million dollars. Yep, just a million dollars. In 2021, it was around $1.3 million. And the most the fund has ever held was $20 million in 1994. Most of that was a single large contribution from a civic-minded and apparently very wealthy donor. So it was really more of a fluke than anything else. And even that high watermark of $20 million is a pittance compared to the size of the federal budget. I mean, just last year, the government spent $6 trillion. And Matt says the government wants the debt fund to stay under the radar. It's not an effective way to raise money. So the Treasury does not advertise this program. There's some information about it on the 1040 tax form and a couple of government websites. That's about it. It wasn't supposed to be this massive revenue stream for the federal government. We have lots of other levers that we can pull for that. It was creating an opportunity because citizens were already doing this. They wanted to give us gifts out of the goodness of their heart or from a sense of deep patriotism. They wanted to send in five bucks because they found it. They wanted to send us surplus army blankets. And when the government receives these donations, they get processed at an office in Parkersburg, West Virginia. This facility was actually set up in 1957 as an emergency relocation site for Treasury operations during the Cold War. Fun fact, it was home to one of the first commercially available mainframe computers, which they used to process U.S. savings bonds. Is the office open for field trips, visits? Like many other government offices, it's not really the place that you would send a group of school children to see lines of cubicles. I would actively encourage folks, please use pay.gov or send (laughs) in a paper check if you really have to. That's a good PSA. You're like, please do not show up at the front door. Okay. I'm imagining a world where millions of Americans listen to this podcast (laughs) and make the trek to Parkersburg, West Virginia to give pennies to the United States government. That's a hell of an image, like millions of Americans coming together to pay down the national debt. Yeah, and you know, this kind of lofty idea has actually inspired people to give money. People like Lila Gardunia. She's the person you heard from at the top of the episode who said she was stoked to donate money. Lila lives near St. Louis. She's a stay-at-home mother of five who also writes quilt patterns on the side. I think I just wanted to feel in control, feel like I was doing something, and take some sort of action. 
This is how Lila felt in 2011. That was when a debt ceiling showdown was going on between Congress and the Obama administration. Lila had been hearing about it for months on the news. And then she got an email from her aunt telling her about this government debt fund. Lila went online and donated $200. She also told friends about it. And she gave an interview to the Washington Post about her contribution. That's actually how I came across her name. I had totally forgotten about this until I got your email. I was like, did I donate? I was like, let me Google that Washington Post article. And I was like, oh, I did that. You can probably tell from the tone of Lila's voice that she doesn't look back on the decision with the same sense of civic pride. In retrospect, <laughs> I feel a little bit of secondhand embarrassment for like past me because my view on it has totally changed. We've had 12 more years of budget issues. There's been other debt ceiling crises. Me giving $200 is not going to solve the problem. And that $200 could instead solve somebody's real problem. Lila says if someone were thinking of donating to the government's debt fund today, she would encourage them to pay down public school lunch debt instead or donate to nonprofit organizations that help eliminate personal medical debt. It could go to something that would actually help people instead of just throwing money at a problem that Congress doesn't seem to be able to take care of. And yet, some people keep sending in their cash, you know, whether it's a gold bullion or just like a few dimes taped to a piece of paper. They sure do. Meanwhile, President Biden met this week with congressional leaders over the debt ceiling before heading off to Japan for a G7 summit. And he said he was confident America will not default on its debt. But there's still no deal. This episode was produced by Corey Bridges with engineering by Catherine Silva. It was fact-checked by Sarah Juarez. Viet Lee's our senior producer. Kate King Cannon edits the show. And The Indicator is a production of NPR. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com indicator. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.